Let's put our hands together one more time for the worship team, for the orchestra here. That... It's been a real gift. Merry Christmas, everyone. It is so good to see you. If you're new to New Life Fellowship, if this is your first time, I want to welcome you. I'm, I'm so thrilled you're with us. Uh, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And if this is your first time, uh, I'm so glad you're with us. At the end of our service, I'll be downstairs as well as some of our pastors and our staff. And I would love to meet you, especially if this is your first time uh, with us. We also have, we're, we're live streaming for the first time. And so some of you are visiting uh, us online here. And so I'm, I'm looking right at you there. And I want to uh, welcome a few guests, some of my friends that said they're, they're visiting online. They texted me before the service here. So I want to say hello to you, Cindy in the Bronx and uh, Arnaldo and Kat in Australia. And so I uh, love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. And so, yeah, you can put your... They, they're clapping for you. Over the past week, I've been asking a question that uh, I've never asked before. The question I've been wondering is, what does God want for Christmas? What does God want for Christmas? Usually I don't ask that question. Usually I'm asking God to give me what I want for Christmas. But this year I was asking a different question. What does God want for Christmas. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture that I believe articulates very clearly what God wants for Christmas. In the book of Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, hear the word of the Lord. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And Mary's response is this. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Let it be unto me according to your word. Then the angel left her. I want to focus on really those three words. Elsa said, let it go. Uh, Mary said, let it be. And so uh, my prayer is that we would say, like Mary, let it be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of tonight, the gift of music, the gift of singing, the gift of your son, Jesus. And so as we look at this passage, as we reflect on a little bit of it, I pray you would speak to us. May you open up our eyes, give us ears to hear, a heart to receive, and eyes to see everything you want to give us. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Almost 10 years ago, a friend of mine from Brooklyn named Arnaldo, the guy who's actually tuning in from Australia, shared the great news that he met a girl. Uh, he actually met her through a, a dating website, and um, every time that we got together, he talked about her. He got really giddy. 
Uh, whenever he got together, all he could do was mention her name, Catherine, talk about her all the time, Catherine, all the time. He experienced what C.S. Lewis called a delightful preoccupation. The only challenge for him was he was in Brooklyn and she lived in Australia. But despite the physical distance, uh, they continued to communicate in the hopes that one day they would be in close proximity to each other. You see, long-distance relationships are really hard, and many long-distance relationships don't work. Because you want, there comes a time where you want to be physically close, in close proximity to your beloved. And after a couple of years of dating, they got married. He moved to the other side of the world in Australia right now with his beloved. And the question that many of his friends probably were asking was, how could you leave a place like Brooklyn, first of all? But how could you leave a place so familiar and go to the other side of the world? In a word, the response is love. Love. Love makes you travel far distances. Now, this story is a simple way of understanding the Christmas story. Because in the Christmas story, we notice a particular trajectory. In the Old Testament, the Bible talks about God's long-distance relationship with the people of God. And sure, God would visit his people in the temple. Sure, he would visit them in the tabernacle. Sure, he would visit them in visitation through the angel of the Lord. But there came a time in the life of God that God wanted to be physically close with his beloved. So much so that the eternal spirit became flesh and blood. How could God leave heaven? I know it's not Brooklyn, but but how could God leave heaven? How could he leave what he was familiar with? In a word, it's love. It was love that made the infinite become finite. Love that made the almighty become a baby. Love that made the immortal become mortal. Love that made the divine become human. Why did God become human? Because of love. On that first Christmas 2,000 years ago, God came to dwell with humanity through the process of birth. He entered into the life of Mary through the womb of Mary, a very delicate place to be. And out of her, God, the Son of God, was born and birthed into the world. And since that very first Christmas, and every year from that point on, God has longed to be close with humanity. Longed to every single person that he's breathing. So much so, he wants to dwell in us. He wants to live his life through us. And Christmas time is a time to be reminded of two things. That God was born into this world 2,000 years ago. And and every single day, God wants to be born into this world through every single person. And so when we look at this passage of scripture, Mary shows us the way. She shows us the way for God to be born in us. Now when we look at Mary, Mary is actually probably the most polarizing figure in all of Christianity. On one side, many Christians hold her in high esteem get to the point almost of worship, where they venerate Mary, where they worship Mary, and, 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 and many people on that side tend to take it a little too far. On the other end of the spectrum, we have those folks that treat Mary as if she's just any other person, any other Jane, every other, you know, whoever, she's just Mary, and we tend to hold Mary in a very low position. But I believe as we look at scripture, Mary is somewhere in the middle there. Somewhere in the middle, not so far up there where we're venerated, but definitely not down where we're ignoring her. She's somewhere in the middle. God came to Mary because, yes, there was something about Mary. (laughs) When we pick up in the story, Mary's about 13 years old or 14 years old, and she's engaged to be married. 
And I imagine she's excited. I imagine she created a, a website for her wedding. I imagine she sent out invitations. She put the down payment on the reception hall. She's registered at Macy's. She's trying on wedding gowns at David's bridal, or rather King David's bridal. She updates her Facebook status with a countdown until the day she gets married. She's excited, but she's nervous about it all. And one day while she's alone, maybe praying, maybe thinking about Joseph, maybe thinking about her life together, maybe thinking about her children, God interrupts her. Mary had a plan for her life, but God interrupts her. And God, through an angel, interrupts her plans. And the angel comes and says, Mary, you are highly favored. And actually, this is what God is saying to you today. God addresses you in the same way he addresses Mary, and he looks at you. You might not think you're highly anything. God calls you highly favored. The great, God says, you are full of grace, and, and, and I want to come to you. And so God is in, inviting, he says, Mary, I'm inviting you to a bigger story. And he explains what God is doing. He explains how Mary can change the course of human history. I assure you that when she woke up that morning, she was not thinking about this kind of encounter. And so she asked the question, how in the world is this going to happen, seeing that I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the Most High will overshadow you. And I love this. This is one of my favorite Advent verses because he's essentially saying to Mary, Mary, you are about to be caught up in something bigger than yourself. You are about to be caught up in a story bigger than your own story. You're about to be caught up in a plan bigger than your plan. And we all have our plans, our five-year plans, our ten-year plans. And God is saying to you today, there is a bigger plan that I have for you. There is a bigger story that I have for you. There is a bigger narrative that I want you to live into. We all have our plans. From very early on, we are taught to have a plan for our lives. We ask four-year-olds and five-year-olds, what do you want to be when you grow up? They can hardly write their name. And we're asking them, what do you want to be when you grow up? We, we, we train people how to have plans. And Mary had a plan, a delightful plan. But God had a bigger plan. And so the angel comes to her, and I love that because Mary wasn't looking for God, but God was looking for Mary. And this is how it is with God all the time. God is always the one initiating. God is always the one coming to you. We love God only because he loved us first. And God comes to Mary, and he visits Mary, and God's visiting you today. And for, and for some of you, you're not even a Christian. Your friend invited you, and this is the first time you're hearing anything of this kind of significance. I want to tell you, God is calling your name. He pursues you with love. He takes the initiative towards you. And for some of you that have been Christians for maybe a long time, God is still calling your name, inviting you to a bigger story. And so Mary hears this invitation and Mary says, yes. She says, yes. But to understand the, the, the significance of Mary's yes, we have to take a look at a significant contrast that's taking place. Because there's a contrast with Mary and another person that I'm going to get to. The New Testament begins in a particular way, but to understand how the New Testament begins, we have to look at how the Old Testament began. In the beginning of the New Testament, a woman plays a significant role in the story. In the beginning of the Old Testament, another woman plays a significant role in the story. And I want to suggest that this is not by accident. I want to suggest that this is purposeful. In the beginning of the New Testament, Mary... We have the story of Mary. In the beginning of the Old Testament, we have the story of Eve. Eve, like Mary, had a heart for God. She was created by God. 
The Bible says in the cool of the day, Eve used to walk with God with her husband, Adam. But one day, she decided that walking with God wasn't enough. Having a relationship with God wasn't enough. Being like God wasn't enough. There came a day where Eve wanted to be God. Not like God, be God. And the serpent came, you know the story, and the serpent says, there's a day where God says, you can t- look at any tree, you can take whatever you want. It probably wasn't a Christmas tree, but whatever tree, look at the garden, it's all yours. Except that one right there. Leave that one alone. And the, and the serpent comes in and essentially says, did God really say that? God is holding back on you. And many of us think God is holding back. And, and he said, you can grab something from that tree. You, you can grab that, that fruit from the tree. Just grab it. And the Bible says it wasn't an apple, but I like to think it was an apple. You know, it, it, grab it from the tree. And, and Eve grabs from the tree. She takes matters into her own hand. And from the very beginning, we see that Eve had a particular disposition of her heart. Eve was grasping to determine her destiny and her future. In this sense, she wanted to be God. Eve's greatest temptation was to live independently of God. And your greatest temptation, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian in this room, is to live independently of God. And so in Eve, we see a picture of fallen humanity. And I like to say it this way, that Eve was suspicious of God and took control. The serpent said, can you really trust God? And he put in a seed of doubt. You cannot really trust God. And and suspicion came up. Can I really trust God? And she takes matters into her own hands. And she was saying, God can't be trusted. God doesn't care for me. And so she takes matters into her own hands. Sin enters into the world. Shame enters into the world. Fear enters into the world. Death enters into the world. And when we look at the story of scripture, many of us are Eve. We all have an inner Eve inside of us, a side of us that's suspicious of God. Does God really care? Some of you, maybe you're ill right now. You're you're suspicious. Does God really care for me? Some of you are in a terrible situation, a a, a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one, a loss of a particular path that you were heading. And you're probably wondering, can God really, does God really trust me? And suspicion comes in. And whenever suspicion comes in, we long to take control. Many times, our suspicion leads us to what Parker Palmer called the functional atheism. That we believe cognitively, yes, I believe in God, but functionally, we live as if God doesn't exist. And so Eve takes matters into her own hands. She makes decisions that hurt her and hurt everyone else. And and that's how the Old Testament began. But the New Testament begins in a different way. Mary shows us a different way. Mary, in many respects, becomes the anti-Eve. Because in the Old Testament, we see Eve with a certain disposition. In the New Testament, we see Mary with a certain disposition as well. And here's how I like to say it. In Eve, we see a woman who who was suspicious of God and took control. But in Mary, we see someone who surrendered to God and relinquished control. And the first woman since Eve separated humanity from God. But in Mary, her surrender created a space for God to connect with humanity. And and every Christmas, God is looking for people like Mary to surrender to the bigger story. And so when Mary hears this invitation, she surrenders and articulately says these three words, let it be. If Elsa was doing the rendition, she would say, let it be. 
let it be. I don't know what else to say after that, but, but she'd say, let it be. Let it be according to your word. And in this statement, we see a powerful reversal of the tragedy in the garden. One of the most powerful images that I've seen about Mary and Eve came from a sister named uh, Grace Remington. And this painting, this, this, this piece of art is an encounter that Eve has with Mary. And it's such a powerful image as Eve is looking at Mary and Mary looking at Eve. And then I came across a, um, a poem that gave some words to this imaginary encounter. What would Mary say to Eve if she saw her? What words would Mary speak to her? And one woman, a Trappist nun, said, these are the words that I imagine Mary would speak to Eve. And this is how it goes. She says, oh, Eve, my mother and my daughter, life-giving Eve, do not be ashamed, do not grieve. The former things have passed away. Our God has brought us a new day. See, I am with child through whom all will be reconciled. Oh, Eve, my sister, my friend, we will rejoice together forever, life without end. You know what Mary's saying to Eve? Eve, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Eve. Eve, the Savior has come. Eve, your forgiver is here. Eve, the restorer of your soul is here. Eve, your liberator is here. Eve, the one who dispenses grace is here. Eve, your savior is here. Eve, your reconciler is here. Eve, the son of God is here. Merry Christmas, Eve. And she, I love it, Eve is full of shame and Mary comes with good news. And, and some of you today, really the question is, who are you today? Are you Eve? Or are you Mary? Are you Eve grasping, suspicious of God? Or are you Mary surrendering to God and relinquishing control? Mary says, Eve, Merry Christmas. You don't have to be this way anymore. Your Savior's here. Your Savior is here. We either, we have two options in life. To live like Eve or to live like Mary. To live like Eve means that you're fearful, full of shame taking matters into your own hands, impulsive, nervous, anxious. Does that describe your life today? Or we can be like Mary, trusting, relinquishing, free, joyful, peaceful, saying yes. And this is the invitation that God wants for us. He wants us to to go from Eve to Mary. Because in Mary, with her let it be, with that yes, she created a space in her womb for the Messiah to come. And we create space in our spiritual wombs for God to be birthed in us and birthed through us in the world. Who are you tonight? Are you Eve? Or are you Mary? The question is, is, what does God want for Christmas? I'll tell you what God wants for Christmas. God wants what Mary gave. What Mary gave was access to her life. Mary said, I, let it be. I, I open myself to you. I open myself to this invitation. I open myself to this revelation. And this is what God is asking you today as well. Are you willing to create space so that I can access the deepest part of your being 
and transform you and be birthed in you and through you in the world. Now, for some of you, this means that maybe for the first time you're saying yes to God. For some of you, maybe someone brought you here today. Maybe you're watching online and some, you're, you're not even a Christian and you're just hearing this. And God is saying to you, could you create space for me? Can I get access into your life so that I can be born in you and set you free? That's the invitation tonight. And for some of you that have already said yes to God, it's not like, oh, yes, we're always saying yes to God. We're always saying, every Christmas is an opportunity for us to say, yes, Lord, have greater access in my life. Access in my finances, access in my sexuality, access in my parenting, access in the way everything I do. Yes, Lord, I give you greater access to my life. Christmas is an opportunity for us to say, let it be, whether for the first time or the thousandth time. Let it be. And so the invitation for us is very simple. God is coming to us looking for access to be born in you, to change your life. What I'd like to do is invite you to close your eyes for a moment, and in a moment we're going to have our candlelighting service, a candlelighting portion of the service. And if you're hearing this message today and you're realizing, yes, I've been living like Eve, grasping for control. I've been living like Eve, suspicious of God. I've been living like Eve, anxious and full of shame. The good news is Jesus came for you to forgive you and set you free. He came especially for you. And there's a prayer on this screen here that maybe you're, you're wanna, you want to say yes to God for the first time. And I want to just help you by giving you some words. And it's not that you say these words and they become magic. If, when you add faith to words like this, God does something supernatural and mysterious that we can't even cognitively understand. And on the screen here, it's a very simple prayer. It says, Dear Lord, rescue me from my sin and shame. Give me a heart that says, let it be. On this Christmas Eve, I surrender my life to you. I say yes to you. Fill me with your life. In Jesus' name, amen. If that articulates the longing of your heart tonight, if that articulates the longing of your soul tonight, then congratulations. God has been born in you. If you mix that with faith and say, yes, I want that. I want to follow Christ. I want my life to be changed. I have good news for you. God wants to be born in you tonight. So let's pray together. I want to invite Jerry to come up and we'll move to our candlelighting portion. Father, I thank you for scripture. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this community. And Lord, I ask that as we contemplate these two women, extraordinary women, Lord, I pray that you would fill us. We would give you access we would be able to say, let it be, maybe for the first time or the thousandth time. And so, Lord, as we enter into this candlelighting portion of the service, such a, a wonderful symbolic gesture we're about to uh, enter into, may your light fill us. May your love transform us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Let's all stand together. Amen. Amen. So we come to this very wonderful part of our service which uh, is our candle lighting. And it's not only our tradition, it really has quite a bit of meaning for us. You know, it was over 40, almost 40 years ago where I said to Jesus, um, let it be. And, and I've had to say it many, many times. I live saying, let it be. And that's why I'm so thankful that Christ said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of real life. And Christ didn't say, I am a light of the world. I'm one of many lights of the world. Christ said, I am the light. And uh, in following Christ for almost 40 years, life can throw many things at you. And there are many unpredictabilities in life. There are many ups and downs and twists and turns. But Christ said, if we will unite our hearts to his, we have his spirit and we'll never walk in darkness. And so as we light our candles tonight, we're, we're being reminded that we never have to live in darkness. He gives us the light of his peace. He gives us the light of his comfort uh, when we're suffering. He gives us the light of wisdom when we, there are so many unknowns in our life. And now what's really wonderful is as we begin to light the candles, we'll, we'll darken most of the room. And I will start by lighting my one candle. Even when there's just one little light, there's light in the darkness. But I will then light two other people's lights, and uh, they then will go down the end of the row and light the person on the end of the row's candle. That person on the end of the row will turn and light the candle next to them, and then so on and so forth, right down the row. And we want everybody to participate regardless of your age. But we just ask parents to um, carefully supervise your little ones. It's, you know, it's a thrill for them to be able to handle a candle, but this building is very old. <laughs> and we want to remain safe. So we want them to participate. We want them to understand that this candle represents the light of Christ in their life as well. And what's really thrilling is you will see as we begin to light, uh, as the candles begin to be lit around the room, there is much more light when there are more candles lit than just my one little one. And so we need all the light that we can get. Amen? Okay. And so we'll be, uh, we'll be singing some beautiful hymns. Uh, Christmas hymns as we light the candles. And I want to also invite you, this is really a time of prayer um, and communion with God and with one another. So I'm going to go over here and light our candle and begin. As you patiently wait up in the balcony, it will come to you.
Let's take a look around the room for a moment to get a picture of this beautiful sight, really. Filled with light. The good news of Christmas is that God has come to us. Not to judge you, but to rescue you. Not to give you shame, but to set you free. This is the message of Christmas. As we close, I want to invite the prayer team to come to my right. And I imagine maybe some of you in this room, you feel God speaking to you very directly. You want to be that kind of person like Mary that says, yes, let it be. And we have a prayer team here that would love to pray with you and for you. If you're ready to take the next step of just your own uh, relationship with God. Downstairs, we have what's called the Alpha Course, some registration there. Maybe you don't know anything about Christianity. We create a safe environment for you to ask questions and meet with other people that are trying to figure this whole thing out to start a relationship with Christ that begins in February. And so if, you're, if you want to ask questions about God in a safe environment and there's food every single week, everybody, you can sign up downstairs. But you can come up uh, for prayer, to receive prayer, to receive Christ, maybe for the first time, or maybe allow, say yes for the first time in a long time. So I'm going to pray for us and uh, we'll blow out our candles. There's some, co- there's some uh, app- not coffee, apple cider and some cookies downstairs in the shell room. You can exit through that doorway or downstairs. I pray you have a very, uh, just a Merry Christmas tomorrow. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this beautiful night you've given us. The good news that you have come to rescue us, to set us free, to pour out grace and mercy on us. May we say yes. May we be like Mary and say, let it be. Maybe for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time. May we say that tonight. And so, Lord, we offer the rest of this gathering. Get us home safe. May we enjoy our families and friends and really celebrate uh, who you are and what you've done to come to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, one, two, three, blow it out. Grace and peace, everybody. You can drop these off at the door. Great job, Jimmy.